Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live, where we're exploring the digital revolution taking place all around us, especially in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic and the implications that that has had on all of our lives and the course of business these days. And in a number of respects, it seems like the COVID pandemic has been an accelerator of digital transformation as companies are racing to try to keep up with what the new norms are, the new dictates, the new requirements among consumers, and how they can respond to a very different work environment, commerce environment, and so on like that. And with us today for this episode is one of our regular monthly guests, Wayne Saden. Wayne has been a CIO, a CTO, and a CDO. Wayne currently advises boards of directors and CEOs on the fusion of digital strategy and digital business. Wayne, thanks for being with us. Always a pleasure to see you. Same here. It's always a pleasure to have a chance to talk to folks. And especially now, as you say, that the economy seems to be opening up and people are starting to think about what do I want to be when this is over? Whatever over means, a lot of my clients are starting to say, if I can be ahead of everybody else, I win. So yeah. it's a great time to be doing this and a great time to be pushing forward on digital transformation initiatives. Wayne, you know, along those lines, I think one of the things that you wanted to focus on today was there are so many interesting and very futuristic in some ways notions to the digital world, digital business, digital engagement, and so on like that. But some of the fundamentals still come packaged up pretty nicely in some modern software applications. And you felt that in this time of companies re-emerging, re-engaging with things and figuring out, you know, what do I need to be, not just to survive, the second half of 2020 but to thrive there and into 21 and 22 that whole notion of what does a modern erp suite or package look like these days and how's that going to help companies achieve their goals and objectives in the second half of what has been a very crazy year well you know bob we can talk about all the digital fancy stuff and about all the futuristic things but at the end of the day as a working cio you have to execute as a working executive team, you have to execute. And so many companies, as we've talked about in prior interviews, are so far behind the curve. Their software is five, 10, 20 years old. And if you think about the future and you're trying to accelerate what you're doing, you gotta start implementing the scariest three letter word in the English language, ERP. And so when I talk to board members and C-suite members, I always hear, it's going to take longer than you said. It's going to cost more. It's going to not work. It's going to take forever. And I think part of that stems from a misunderstanding about just what it is to put in an ERP. So when a vendor comes and says, give me a check for a million bucks, it solves your problem. It could be million, 10 million, 20 million, whatever the number is. Just put my software in, it'll solve your problem. I wanted to break down for the C-suite, the board, what a project like that actually looks like. How, what are the things that make these kind of projects work? And what are the things that absent, they don't work? And I think it's important. So let me start with the first thing. We start like, like everything in business, it starts with the people. And like every change initiative in a company, it starts at the board. Wayne, and that's a perfect place to start. Let me ask you a question too, because um, for, you know, uh, seasoned citizens like you and me. We all know what ERP, where did that term come from? And just give us a little bit of historical context where it came from and more what today does it apply to these three scariest letters in the English language? Okay. 
Uh, first of all, I'm going to mention that we've talked about this in prior discussions, so I urge people to go back and look for hours of discussion about the nuances of modern ERP. But, but many years ago, when I started out in manufacturing, we had inventory systems. So you'd put stuff in the beginning, and it would sit in your warehouse, and it would come out the other end. And so IBM, I think, coined the term material requirements planning. If I knew what I was going to sell, I would know what I had to make. I would know what I had to have. So I'd know what I had to order. And so MRP became the trend 40 years ago. And uh, material requirements planning turned into, of course, these are IT people. The next evolution became MRP2. <laughs> Literally was called MRP, Roman numeral II. And then somebody said, I don't remember who, let's be fancier and throw sales into the mix and other field service into the mix and we'll call it enterprise requirements planning and thus begat ERP. It's been around for roughly 60 years, probably if you go back to the earliest net change MRP systems. But today it really says it's a, it's a digital ecosystem. And whether you're a manufacturer, a logistics company, a project service company, even when you think about a bank or a hospital, they are buying, they're selling, they're hiring, they're firing, they're collecting, they're borrowing, they're paying. So we manage the integrated ecosystem of our companies using a suite called ERP, which is why I say it starts with the board. These are heart transplants, brain transplants. They are not done lightly. And as I say, if you think the last time anybody did major software surgery was Y2K, which is now over 20 years ago. And if you want to move forward, as we talked about before, the Microsofts, the Salesforce, the Workdays, and some of the others have really changed the playing field by being able to integrate lots of things. But as cool as they are, and as much as I say the cloud solves a lot of problems, whether you're doing a mainframe system like we did 50 years ago, or if you're doing a client server system, or you're doing a web system, or you're doing a cloud system, what do they say? The fundamentals are fundamental. And it starts, as I said, with people. The board has to say, we believe in you. We believe in the project. We understand the value. The C-suite has to get behind it. Your change agents who make the business say, this is what we want to work on, have got to start with the top. You know, walk the talk, toe at the top. How many more things can I say? But, but that's the first thing. If the board is not aligned with you, they're not going to support you through thick and thin, and this project will have thick and thin. Things will go well and things will go badly. So once you get the right C-suite alignment, which takes a lot of discussion about why are we doing this and how are we doing this and so on, the next thing is about people is what I think people don't understand. The only people I want on my ERP team are the people none of you want to give me. What happens with many big projects is you get the people that have nothing to do. You get the people that may not be the people you want. I need not process operators. I need process owners. And why do I say that? Why, do, why am I asking for the creme de la creme? Because an ERP system is not about software first, technology first. It's about process first. It's about what do we want to do to make this company better? optimize the processes we have, change the processes we may need to change, incorporate, uh, destroy, and really build a different environment for people, and then implement that in software. And that's what people don't understand. If you just say to IT, go do it, or worse, just say to the consultant, go do it, you will get what you do now 
faster. And since what you do now is probably two things. You thought of it 20 years ago when you did your last software upgrade. And in the last 20 years, you've been adding to it like barnacles at the bottom of a ship. And so you wind up with technical debt and process debt and all the bad stuff we talk about. And, and maybe you were a quarter the size, a tenth the size, maybe you were private and now you're public. Maybe you've acquired 46 companies, you operate 12 more countries. And so why would I wanna just make the old junk faster? So we gotta start from the process and work from there. So that's the first thing. Now, the worst thing you can hear in a project like this, and it's a thing that just strikes fear in my heart, is that's the way we do it around here. And I'm a consultant, I travel from industry to industry, so everybody tries to pull this on me. Oh, no, no, you don't understand our business. That's not how it works. We don't compute overtime the way other people. We, we don't do amortization like everybody else. Yeah, like you don't have GAP or IFRS? No, sorry, not gonna do that. So that's poison. And so the one thing I'll say to any executive group, when you're putting your project team together, you've gotta have somebody on the team who keeps saying, why? Why do you do it that way? Well, because that's how we do it is never gonna be a good answer. And that's the number one failing I see in these projects. Everybody comes with the list of how they do it or you hire a documentation team. Let's go document what everybody does. And they bring the charts in and they hand them to the implementation team and they go do it. And so what have you accomplished? You have new software, but old processes. It's a terrible way to do it. And that's where people skimp. Because the people who say why and keep forcing that are expensive. Even if you hire an implementation partner, a consultant, you don't want the person right out of school. You want the person that's got the scars, that's got the gray hair, that's got the experience of seeing it done well and badly. And then you want a team of people from the company around that person so you can bang these ideas against each other. Super important and, and quite honestly, often overlooked. So the next principle that I would espouse is it should be the same wherever it can be unless differences are different. I hear all the time, my business unit and your business unit are different because we call it green and you call it blue. Well, you have to get under it and look at what are the similarities and processes. As I said, we buy, we sell, we make, we store, we ship, we collect. These are common processes. There are places where in this business, that maybe is international and you're domestic. This is big and this one's small. This is labor intensive, this is equipment intensive. But that doesn't mean we build it differently. That means we build something for labor intensive work and equipment intensive work, or for domestic and for international. And now we say any business unit that falls into that category gets to use the international process or the domestic process or the big or the small process. And we don't say, Division A gets Division A processes and Division B gets Division B. And too often, ERP projects kind of divide along, do I say party lines? My division likes this, your division likes that. Let's, let's get under that and, and try to have a conversation about where the differences really are and why they're unique. However, I learned something over the weekend, something called Chesterton's Fence. Never heard it. The paradox of Chesterton's Fence. And in principle, it says, never take a fence down until you know why it was put up. I think that's terrific. And what that means is fences don't grow on their own. Fences are not put up by people that are sleepwalking or, or you know, probably not drugged. So before you decide, we'll just take it down. We'll just stop doing that. 
figure out why the motivation was there to do it in the first place. So that says unconstrained change can have second and third order effects that will come back to haunt you. And so that's kind of the change vision of the company. But there's a flip side, controls. A lot of times companies have controls that are either old controls, obsolete controls, or they're very manual or both. And so I ask everybody to look at your controls and ask yourself this question. What's the cost of the control? What's the value of the control? If you think about risk, we start with inherent risk of a process. That's the risk if we do nothing. And then we have a mitigation strategy. What do we do to make it less? And then we have a residual risk. What's left? And then we go and ask the business unit, which could be the board, the risk committee, the internal auditors, whoever, is this an acceptable residual risk? And then you work through the price. Because if the residual risk is, oh, that's fine, but the price is unacceptable, maybe that's a control that is not valuable. If it costs you $2 to save a dollar sometimes, why would I want to do that? And so doing an ERP is a perfect time to be looking at your control environment and saying, do we satisfy Sarbanes-Oxley and HIPAA and PCI DSS and whatever else you've got? But at the same time, ask yourself, what's the value? Why am I doing that? Not because somebody told me to, not because that's what we do, but because it adds value. Wayne, this, you know, you're, you're, you're setting up this strategic overview here. Great. I know in a minute you're going to get into a very interesting exercise about the costs involved here. Because today, the times today are so different and dynamic and fast moving, give us just a little bit of a sense of what's a time frame that you would advise boards and CEOs to think about with this? How much time should they put into some of this planning and preparation for it, and then the go live. Every company's different, I get that, but are you talking about years, is it months, is it days? How, what, what would feel right to a company trying to really get on top of this here in mid-2020? You know, it depends is the only valid answer. To give you an answer that applies for companies that know what they wanna be when they grow up and have one division, to companies that operate in 100 countries, there's no one answer. But I will tell you that what companies tend to do is they rush the planning. So I'm gonna answer in two ways. You don't wanna rush the planning. Time to figure out what you wanna be when you grow up, time to understand. I'm working on a project now, we're doing a lot of user stories, process flow diagrams, and interviewing subject matter experts. How do you do it today? How do you wanna do it? And then what are some phases of implementation we can take? But I will say one thing about that. The days of doing a monolithic ERP Go, give me your specs and go away for three years until I write it are long over. The key is time to value. So if I'm doing a modern cloud ERP, remember I stand the whole thing up at once. We put it in the cloud. And so if I'm working on a company that has, let's say a sales operation, and of, of course there's accounting involved and maybe warehouse or transportation management, manufacturing, field service, whatever it may be, there's nothing wrong with saying, here's the core financials, the general ledger, the, the core of the chart of accounts work breakdown structure. And now let's go spin off individual project groups that are implementing value in different areas and iterate. You know, in startups, if you talk to startups, they always talk about the MVP, the minimum viable product. And so when we, we can drill down into how you do one of these projects, but you do a brief planning period. What do I want it to look like architecturally for the future, business architecture? And then you start spinning up um, iterations, sprints, if you will. 
And so I may be doing a sprint in sales and marketing, and they're willing to turn around a sprint in two weeks. If I'm in accounting and they're trying to close the books and do gap reporting in SEC, maybe it's four weeks. So once I can start spinning up sales over here at that speed, I can spin up accounting at a different speed. And the question then is, how do I bring value? Maybe I'm managing the fleet of equipment. Maybe I'm managing the sales process. Maybe I'm managing the warehouse. And so we can start thinking about how to deliver value sooner and then iterate. Because again, how do you do a startup? You keep iterating, new release, new release, new release, beta, 0 0.7, 0 0.8, 0 0.9, and eventually somebody declares it done. The cake, the cake is done, take it out of the oven. Doesn't mean we can't put sprinkles and icing on it later. But, but so that, that's the rule of thumb is don't try to make it a giant monolithic comeback when it's done. All right, that's perfect. Wayne. I'll just toss in, if we got Chesterton's fence over here, now we have Satan's timetable as a corollary. <laughs> well, the timetable should be, ask yourself what you care about the most. And what I ask my clients is this, do you have a dedicated person, somebody in your company that cares deeply about that function and understands it and has the organization's buy-in? Because you can say, here's a project team, you hire somebody, an implementation partner, a person like me. But at the end of the day, if there's some internal champion for module A or module B or module C, I would much rather implement based on having somebody as a partner in the business to drive that change than to have this kind of corporate top down, we've decided we're going to do GL first, then AP, then AR. If you've got somebody willing to put their skin in the game and their, their enthusiasm in it, let's bring time to value. And because we're working, again, we talked about it before, we'll just briefly say, if you've got a database oriented, low code, no code, BI enabled cloud system, you can implement it in a way you couldn't when it was on a mainframe or on a bunch of big Unix boxes. You've got a lot more modularity, a lot more flexibility, a lot more horizontal decomposability. Now we're throwing in non-business words. Just go to your IT people and say, could you implement that ahead of that? And as long as there's a place for the numbers to feed, the general ledger should be kind of at the bottom of that pile. You can implement multiple things and then kind of stick them together later. Now, if I'm talking to a $25 billion to $100 billion company in 100 countries making a highly regulated product, they're going to turn off the video at this point because that may not be the way I would implement in a DOD environment or in a global bank. But for most of us, you know, and I'm in the kind of little under a billion to five or 10 billion range, we should take advantage of the flexibility of the infrastructure and the flexibility of the new project management capabilities, uh, agile development, and, and working with users in a much more responsive way. Let's not implement this like I keep saying, your father's SAP. This is, I'm not picking on SAP because I met an SAP person the other day who told me some great stuff, but let's not implement in this very slow, methodical way at the expense of everything else. It's too often, IT was in the no business. No, we can't do that. No, it's going to take longer. Let's try to be in the, okay, let's think about it business or the yes, but business and look for the risks and the opportunities. So um, I'm sorry, I wasn't on my agenda, but it's, I'm very passionate about that. We, we can implement in various pieces to get to the MVP. Uh, and that doesn't affect the budget as much as it might have, say, 10 or 20 years ago. Perfect. Thanks, Wayne. So money, budget. Here's an interesting thing. People come and they say, how much is it going to cost? 
Well, I, I can't give you the number because I don't know your company. I don't know how many licenses you need, but there are some rules of thumb. So this may be a, a Satan's law. The first thing about your budget is put contingency in the budget. Now, people, what they do often is they bury it. I'm going to just add $50 an hour. I'm going to add another three weeks. I'm going to add this. That's a terrible methodology. If you think about it, what is contingency? Contingency is a financial number telling you what I don't know. So my rule of thumb, unless I know more about the project, is I throw a 25% contingency on almost anything in the early days. That's a measure of my uncertainty. Now, as we learn more about the project, as we do the planning, as we get through the initiation to the uh, elaboration stage, we start taking that number down probably, or maybe we take it up in areas. Over here, it's very risky because we've never done this before. Over here, we've done it before, the vendor's done it before, it's standard, so maybe the contingency is 5%. So put your contingency in and make that part of your board and C-suite user discussion. This is this risky for this reason, and how will I de-risk it? When I answer these five questions, or you answer them, I will be able to reduce the contingency or increase it, but at least it'll measure what the risk is to the project. So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is everybody forgets you do a vendor implementation, and everybody forgets two things, sales tax and travel and, and travel and you know, T&E, travel and, and entertainment. I'm going to bring people on site. Now, maybe in COVID, we don't anymore. But the rule of thumb has been 12% of the implementation cost. So if you have your implementation cost is 5 million bucks, let's start with up to 10% sales tax, depending on where you are in the country, and another 12%, let's say, for T&E, and you're 25% over budget. And so people don't remember that. Vendors never put it on their, their um, uh, purchase request. It never even shows up on the bill until eventually you have to pay the sales tax. So, so bear that in mind. Um, the other one is organizational change management. That is, uh, used to be, an, uh, I guess, a marketing side. Organizational change management is a fancy term for marketing. And what is marketing? Marketing is identifying an unmet demand and meeting it, right? So organizational change management is interviewing users. It's selling the process. How am I helping you? Um, I, have a pro I see project lists written up all the time. In an effort to have standardized software, the company has decided to implement a new ERP. I would never let a company send that out. In an effort to make employees more productive, improve safety, drop bottom line profits, and make us all a ton of money, we've decided to change this process because ERP is just a three-letter word. So let's market this. Let's do hats and mugs and contests and name the project and we'll give you a gift certificate. We'll give you a parking space, whatever it may be. You've got to be pushing this in a company because let's face it, everybody comes to work and most of us don't hope that tomorrow our entire environment will look different than it looks today. We hope that it's, we you can predict what it's going to look like. So we've got to sell people on change and that costs money. Uh, we also underlook, I guess that's a word, underlook, overlook, but uh, we don't put enough emphasis on training. People will say, I got this training budget. Remember that if you've got 2,000 employees in the company that need to use the system, that's whatever the training is times 2,000. Maybe in groups of 10, maybe in groups of 100, maybe virtual. Today, maybe it's just-in-time training. But don't under-budget that or your user experience will stink. You don't get the second chance to make a first impression. So you've got to do that. Um, another mistake I see companies make a lot, we're going to hire an outside company to implement. So then you've got a company 
whose job it is. Look, let's face it. I'm a consultant. What's my job? My job is to bill hours. That's how I eat and pay the mortgage. That's true whether you're me as a single shingle or you're the giant company. So I recommend that every company implementing have a project manager within their company. That's the person who makes sure that the land and expand strategy that is so common in consultancies doesn't take hold. Here's my budget. Here's what you said. Here's what we got to do. Here's how we're delivering. So put your own guard on the hen house. We don't want it. We don't want the fox guarding the hen house. And I, I, I say this with all due respect to my, my friends at consulting companies. They don't get paid unless they can bill. And there's always another thing. I hate when a consulting company says in a meeting, in answer to every question, oh, yeah, that's, that's possible. Oh, sure, we can do that. And you always want to stop and go, and when does the meter start on that one? Because it's great to promise stuff to the end users, but keep forgetting to mention the bill. So somebody needs to be responsible for that. Um, and the biggest cost of these projects is the firm's own internal free labor. If I take 20 people and put them on my ERP team and they're not doing their other job, what happens? I think the smartest company will say, we need to backfill. We need to bring in a temp. And that temp is not just a clerk. The temp may be another programmer, an architect. I've worked in companies where they brought in temps in human resources and benefits and accounting and finance. These are people that would come in and help with the day-to-day -day job to free somebody up to be part of your project team. These are not dedicated con contractors to do coding. These are people who work in the business and support those folks to make it possible for them to do a job and a half. And the last one is transition costs that people overlook. So we're going to put in a new ERP. In January 1, we're going to be on the new ERP. Well, let's remember that come January 1, the old ERP is still being used to close the books on last year. And so the vendor puts out this maintenance every year, and you got to put it on. And maybe you keep it around for a quarter. And then somebody in the board asks for a special report, so you keep it around for two more months. And then you take all the backups. Of course, I've already put the data in my data warehouse. I've converted it. I've done all that. But meanwhile, I'm still running the old system. I bought another year of licenses. I've got the old staff still there. Maybe I don't put a new release in, but I've still got to maintain it. And then what happens if you get sued? What happens if a regulator does a discovery on you and you have to go dig out what was the system you ran two years ago? I, may, I recommend keeping a runnable system backed up to tape or disk or somewhere and the hardware it ran on for a while. Eventually, the hardware rusts, the parts fall off, what can you do, or the software stops being supported. But I think it's a prudent thing to have a system you could put back together with a reasonable cost for a year or two at very least. And again, I'm not a lawyer. Consult with your regulator, legal counsel, and so on. So those are all the categories. Let's put some numbers to that to wrap this up. If you're going to spend a dollar on your software, and that's five-year total cost of ownership, because it's not what you wrote the check for. It's what it costs you to make the maintenance, the licensing, whatever ancillary stuff from that vendor to keep it running. Then take another dollar. So a dollar software cost, a dollar for the bar. That's whether I'm hiring a value-added remarketer or a consultant. Again, if I was hiring the most expensive, maybe it's $1.50 per dollar. But rule of thumb, it's about a dollar. Then your ads and change orders, because we never know everything we want. Oh, I need a tax product. I need a leasing add-on. I don't know. Add another dollar to that. So now we're up to $3. Then your own people, the people you put on the project, they're the most expensive resource because they're not doing their job. That's two more dollars. Then organizational change management is yet another dollar. 
And what does that cover? That covers traveling out to your remote sites to explain the process, to help handhold, to explain it to management around the country. Maybe it's to travel out to investor conferences, talk to partners. If you've got big customers, you've got to talk to them. So that's the cost of buying lunch for everybody when you do an implementation, sending somebody on a trip, or just traveling around the country or around the world. Then add 25% contingency, 10% sales tax. And what do you get? $8.25 total for every dollar the vendor quoted you. Don't forget that number. It's about eight bucks for every dollar the software costs you. The software is the cheapest thing. So when you're implementing an ERP, it can go well. They do go well. You just got to follow the rules that people have figured out the hard way over the last, what, 50 or 60 years. Wayne, a great breakdown, and especially, you know, uh, throughout you laid the foundation for it, and then those numbers really come to, how, what percentage of people are shocked when they see that 8.25 factor? Well, the percentage of people who are like me and do this for a living are totally comfortable with it. Every board, every C-suite, every everybody is shocked. They're hidden costs. They're, they're just, their costs of making a change to your company. Stop thinking of this as a software change and start thinking it is about a rethinking of how you do business. And so I will tell you that at eight and a quarter per dollar total, you can make great ROI. Uh, remember, we have two things. We have digital optimization and we have digital transformation. Digital optimization is doing what you do better, faster, and cheaper. If you've got the typical 20-year-old software suite that's discombobulated and disconnected and half your business runs on Excel spreadsheets, look at your audit bill, look at your cost of fulfillment, look at your risk, look at your growth cost. If you double the size of your company, what would happen to your back room? In many cases, you double the back room. So even though the cost is a lot more than people naively think, the ROI on digital optimization can be terrific. And as we've talked about before, Laying down a platform of a modern ERP suite, and we've talked about what that means. If it's a modern ERP suite that builds the framework for AI, IoT, mixed reality, drones, sensors, edge computing, uh, advanced analytics, all of that stuff becomes available to you. And by the way, at very low cost, because you've already paid for it with the digital optimization of changing your processes. So the number is shockingly high in one sense, but on the other hand, it's a hell of a great investment. Wayne, good stuff. I think that, uh, you know, maybe we should think about uh, uh, the opportunity to put this together in an article. I think more people ought to hear about this, think about it, and allow uh, Satan's theorem to be more widely discussed, like Chesterton's fence. Happy to have my own fence. Thank you. All right, my friend. Thanks, Wayne. Great talking okay. with you. We'll see you next time. And to all of you folks, thanks for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live. We look forward to seeing you next time.